Well, we are almost done with the Psalm Songs series, and I think we've hit almost every genre of music that there is, except this one. Sit back and enjoy this this morning. church today, did ya? Man, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've been waiting 13 years for that. You know, we've been doing this Psalm Song series just about, not quite, but just about since we uh, started the church. And if you're wondering why we're doing Toby Keith up here and you haven't heard, let me just say, we want to connect the, the, the message of that song to a psalm 
so that the next time you hear that, maybe some of you are going, yes, I love that. And some of you are like, I'm never going to hear that again in the radio channels that I listen to. So, you know, what, what a waste. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I want to connect it to Psalm 66 so the next time you hear that, you hear King David saying the things that he said in Psalm 66. The things that are going on. I'm, I'm Toby Keith is singing a song about um, the idea that, you know, he was that, that kid in high school. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I went to, to high school with a kid like that. I mean, all he wanted to do was wear a cowboy hat. And I was in um, central Ohio. He wanted to just wear a cowboy hat and sing country music. And, that's, and, and, and of course, you know, he, his life fell apart when Elvis Presley died. But that was okay. Um, but he just wanted, that's, that was his whole goal. And in this song, that whole song is all about the idea that, you know, when you've got dreams, when you've got goals, when you've got plans, when you've got, and then somebody like this girl he talks about keeps saying to you, you're not going to make it. You're worthless. You're not, what do you do? I'm not giving you the time of the day. What do you do with your dreams? When you hear those kind of voices going into your ear, what do you do with your dreams when that's what's going on. That's what I want to talk about today. Have you ever been there? I mean, I was, when, when I grew up I, I, as a kid, I, I, I say this to you, maybe you've been here long enough, you heard, but I was the skinny, tall, um, um, geeky, backwards, immature, gangly, I mean, apparently I had a sign on the back that said, beat me up once in a while, evidently. Um, it's, I, I mean, I was that kid. And I, I, I thought that was my, my, uh, my spot in life. And I had, had kind of, by the time I got to high school, given up just a little tiny bit of having dreams and dreams. And seriously, my life right now, I never hoped or dreamed of because the things I did hope and dream of, I thought they're never going to be my journey. You know, they, they got changed and maybe you're there. And now when I'm standing in the mirror and I'm whining and crying a little bit to the Lord and the, and the Lord will say to me, he'll say, but look at you now. And that's why I often will say in here, do me a favor and think about where you were five years ago, relationally, emotionally, or spiritually, or maybe all three of them together. Where were you five years ago in your relationship to Jesus, in relationship to the church? And I mean, are you growing? Do you see where God is moving you? Do you see what he's doing in your life? Because it is so hard, um, and I was in a conversation with somebody this past week, but it's, it's so hard to, to, to pray to God, and, in, and he's not you know, a drive-through, and he's not a candy machine, and then God's trying to answer our prayers, and, and, and the next day after we've prayed, we, we don't look back and go, well, he's not doing anything. But if we back up five years and look back, we can begin to say, wow, look what God did. You got that phone call for a job. You, uh, um, uh, you finished an education. Uh, um, you entered into a relationship. You exited a relationship. All of these things happened, you know, almost like, pow, I never thought that would, you know, happen. For Toby Keith, he never thought the girl would say yes uh, to going out with him. And at the same time, he never thought that she thought much of him. But how does she like him now when he's in the radio waking her up, you know? Look at where I am. And I hear the Lord saying in my own life, look at you now. Look at where he, not Joe Wood, look at where he has brought you because you gave your life to him. Look at where he's got you because you said yes to him. You said yes to doing things his way. You said yes when he asked you to step up and talk. You said yes when he asked you to step up and serve. You said yes. And when we say yes to God, he begins to change our lives. 
It's often when we say no to God that we're sitting there a couple of years later and we wonder why God's not doing what we want or why we haven't seen our dreams come true. Because we've been sitting there saying no, waiting for God to do the thing. And when we say yes, that enters us down the path where he can often answer the prayer that we're asking him to answer. We all have situations in our life where we can stop and we can say, look where God's brought us to. But we also have situations and circumstances where we can say, we've heard people say to us, you'll never amount to anything. You're worthless. You're worthless. You are a waste of breath. You aren't worth it. You're stupid. Wow. Psalm 66 speaks from the heart of a guy that has been through the mill. Okay? Now, Psalm 66 doesn't open and say, King David did this. But let me just say that Charles Spurgeon suggests in his commentary that the fact of the matter is that this is a very Davidic psalm, that this was written by David. And most theologians will say, with all probability, it was written by David. So I'm going to speak about this psalm as if it was written by David, if you don't mind, because it is incredibly, the language in it and the order of the psalm is very, very, very Davidic. Okay, and so I'm going to go down through this thing looking at that, but let's read this. We're going to look at uh, Psalm 66, and uh, the, the, the part that I want to look at now, it's a very powerful psalm. Um, it's only got 20 verses, but I just want to, I just want to look at um, 8 through 20, not because I want to tear it apart and make it say what I want it to say, but because I want to look at the heart of it and see what it says. That's my goal, okay? So it says right here, um, it's for the director of music, it's a song, so that makes it a psalm. And down at verse 8, it begins like this. It, it, it exits a thought and enters into the next one. And it says, Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. For he has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our back. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. My, vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and offerings of rams. I will offer bulls and goats, Selah. Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth, and his praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But the Lord has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to my God. And we see this picture right here. And that's what I want to look at today. David is writing this psalm, and he's speaking it right out there for us to see. Now, if we believe that David wrote this psalm, if we just move forward in that way, then we think back on his life. He was a shepherd boy. He, he was just, he was, you know, the, the least of the sons um, of his father, Jesse. He was actually despised by his brothers. He was publicly mocked. He was a giant slayer and then a king of Israel. And then his own sons um, get bigger and bigger and bigger and start murdering one another. And then one of them decides that they want to kill him and take his kingdom from him. They want the throne. And so this is David's life. And you look at it and initially you think, whoa, here's a little shepherd boy. And, you know, he went and he got him a job and, and he was the shepherd boy for dad and dad raised him up. And, and then God raised him up and kept, I mean, can you imagine? God says, David, will you follow me? And clearly David was following God. David was sitting with his sheep and he was playing on his guitar. He was sitting with his sheep. It was a liar back then, but that word is confusing. Okay, and so he's playing on his guitar. He's writing music to God. He's singing to God. 
He loves God. So much so that when he shows up at the Valley of Elah, there's the altercation with that nine-foot giant, okay? And that becomes a very famous incident in his life. But then you think, wow, David! But then you see, hey, family life doesn't get really you know, that much better. It kind of spirals out if you look. I mean, I don't know that I have a son that wants me dead so that he can have this job, and, and, you know, but it could, it's possible. It's possible. But he had a son that wanted him dead so that he could have his throne. And that's where David is, and, and he's been through this thing, and he kind of begins to recount things. Now, this, this psalm, like I said, is very Davidic. So let me just break it up for you just a little tiny bit in the verses that I'm using today. In verses 8 through 12, he is speaking of all Israel. He magnifies God for what God has done. He says, God, you've been faithful, and you did this for us, and you did this for us. And all of a sudden, he switches and said, you let men ride over our heads. And you realize, he said, God, you've been faithful, but man, you spanked the living daylights out of us, and it hurt like the dickens. And he's referring back to their time in Egypt where they became slaves, and the Egyptians were over their head. And they rode that way. He said, but you brought us through. You brought us out. You did this thing. You set uh, us free. And he's setting this stage. David is setting the stage. He's saying, you've been this kind of a God, but now I want to tell those of you that are going to hear this song. And remember, this is a, this is a song. This is a how do you like me now song, okay? This is on the radio. This is like on the top 20 back in Jesus, I mean, back in David's day. You know, he, he's, he's writing the music. He's, you know, getting awards at the CMA, so to speak. This is David doing this. He's writing a song, not just poetry. There was music to this thing. And he comes into verse 13, and he gets super ridiculously personal. And he says this, I want to glorify your name. He says, I'll come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you, an offering of rams, and I will offer bulls and goats. And so we get a picture. Um, he's, he's, uh, he's repenting, if you will, at the same time that he's talking. He's saying, God, I made vows to you. You ever made any vows? I made vows. There was something I heard all in, in my growing up days forever, and that is that a man is only as good as his word. That you say, you, you, my, my father just beat it into me. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. You don't put it off. You don't leave it linger. You be responsible. If you sign up for something, you show up for something. If, if you say you're going to do it, then, then Jody, you better be there. That, that's what they called me when I was a little kid. You better be there. Because that's what men do. And that's what David is saying. David is saying, listen, when I was desperately in trouble, when I was scared to death, when I was like, God, you need to intervene here, please, Lord, you've got to save me, you've got to give me a job, you've got to help the finances get to the end of the month. And, and I would dare say that we've probably all been there just a little bit. God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll do that for you. And David is saying, I was there. I was there when I said, God, if you will just do this, I will do this. And David's saying, I came back to this because I made vows to you. My lips made vows to you. And I don't know what the vows were, and I don't know what the difficult circumstances was, but I can tell you right now, David came back and he said, oh, I need to come back and I'm making these sacrifices. I am going to fulfill my word to God. You ever made a, a vow to God? You ever said, hey, Lord, if you'll just do this, I'll do that. Did you do that after he did this? Did you, did you do this part, your part? 
did you go back and apologize? Did you build? Did you give? Did you serve? Did you do the thing that God invited you? Because David is saying, this is what I need to do. And he is speaking of a, a great offering, not just a little bit of an offering, but an absolutely great offering because God is worthy. It's not a tithe. It's what's referred to as a generous offering or a thank offering in the Old Testament. And then he turns his attention to Israel, and like he's speaking to Israel instead of God, and he says, come, come here and hear all, and, and, and hear all of you who fear God. Come, come here. I'm going to tell you what he's done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but God has surely listened, and he has heard my prayer. And he's saying, let me testify to you. Let me tell you what God has done. Listen, every one of us can get up every single morning, and we can begin the day by going, well, I woke up in my house. I didn't woke up in, uh, wake up in an 8,000-square-foot mansion. Well, I woke up today, and there's not a million dollars in my bank account yet. Well, I woke up today, and i got to go back to that same job. I hate that boss. I hate some of those workers. I don't like that. We can go through all the things that are wrong with our lives, can't we? We can go through all the struggles that we go through. We can wake up, and we can lament. That's why we have a whole book called Lamentations. Okay, it means lamentations, okay? It's lamenting and lamenting and lamenting. But we've got a whole book called that, and we do that as human beings. Well, God, you haven't done this yet. You haven't done that yet. You haven't done that yet, okay? I'm waiting on God to do this. Yeah, but can you testify to what he has already done or is, is doing in your life? What is he doing in your life? I had the opportunity to be in Texas a couple of days ago. Thank you for the, um, the modern miracle of airplanes. Um, because you can go down and come back, and it's just kind of amazing. Just one day you're down, and one day you're back, and it's great. But I got to be with my nieces and just had the best time with them because we were driving home from dinner, and one of them was in the back seat, and they're, they're all in college right now. And, uh, and one of them just said, um, Uncle Joe, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, and they asked their question, and it was one of those how do I talk to an atheist sort of questions, and we, we went down through it. But in the, in the course of all of our conversation and listening and talking and listening and talking, we came to a place where I said, listen, somewhere in there, you need to be able to not prove that there's a God. You can't prove to me that there's a God. I can share with you what God's doing in my life, and I can share with you why I believe there's a God, and I can listen to your story as an atheist that you think a couple of dust particles came crashing together you can't tell me where the dust particles came from you can't tell me who pushed them together as fast as they were going if you follow that theory and i can tell you that in science the number one thing you need to understand according to unchristian science is something can't come from nothing and yet then they build their whole logic of where humanity came from on nothing and tell you to believe it it takes more faith to walk down that road than it does to walk down the belief in a creative designer. But there it was, and we were sharing back and forth. And the one thing that we finally got to is, can you put together a two- to three-minute testimony? Not like, I want you to come up on stage, and I want you to share your testimony. But not, not that. Not, not that, okay? But not that. But a two- to three-minute testimony where you walk out that door today and you meet somebody that maybe doesn't go to church and they're at the food truck and you sit down and they, they say to you, why do you believe and go to church? And you spend two, two, this two, not this two, two or three minutes and say, let me tell you what God's been doing in my life. And it doesn't have to be. October 4th of 1960 was a cloudy day. It do, you don't have to go there, okay? You don't have to do that. 
But a two to three minute testimony that says, this is where I'm walking with God and this is what he has said to me and this is why I'm acting the way I've, I've acted and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing and this is where he's calling me when he's calling me and I'm listening and this is what's happening and can you be excited about it? Because I'm telling you right now, um, I, I, I keep hearing the Lord say, stay the course, stay the course, stay the course. Don't be distracted, don't turn, don't, listen, the world's going crazy but keep going that way and don't quit, don't give up persevere. These are the messages that I keep hearing. And Pastor John Stearns from down in Tennessee was sitting across the table for me at the conference. And I was just like, I'm here and I'm, I spent 2,500 miles going on a trip and I was by myself and I'm crying out and I'm saying, God, you got to speak to me. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, seems to me like he's being real clear to you. I said, what do you mean? It's like, you've told me four people right now that told you to stay the course. You don't think God is saying stay the course? Man, I kind of hoped he would show up like he did to Abraham. I was kind of throwing my tantrum that way because I wanted that kind of an experience. And we tell God what he needs to do to make it real to us, right? Instead of stepping back and, like I said, looking back the last week, two weeks, three weeks. How did you get to where you are right now at work? How did you get there? How did you get to where you are in married relationships? How did you get to Richmond, Kentucky? You think all of that was just an accident because you had an idea, wanted an education, went to school? You don't think God put his finger in your pie and made it come out the way he wanted it to come out? I think you need to sit with my friend John Stearns. I think he will look you in the eye and say, don't you hear God? Because it looks like he's doing something in your life. But we push him, push him back because we want him to do something else. And David is in this place where he's saying, let me testify you. See, normal human beings will tell you everything that's going wrong. But winners will tell you what's going right. Because that's what winners do. People that are moving forward, that are leveling up, so to speak, will tell you all of the exciting things about what's moving them forward. They won't tell you why things aren't going the way they want them to. And then finally, David glorifies God personally. He says, praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love for me. Now, somebody in here needs to write that down. You need to write this down because you're sitting in here saying, God hasn't answered my prayer yet. God hasn't done this yet. Stop. I believe that the Holy Spirit, it's not written in my notes, is saying, stop right here, Joe, and tell them that there's somebody in here that needs to write this down. Praise be to God who has not, number one, rejected my prayer. God has not rejected your prayer. Stop it. Stop saying he has. Don't be a loser. Losers say, well, I'm not getting what I want. It's not going my way. It's not happening for me. It's not. A winner says, look where I am now. How do you like me now? See, he has not rejected your prayer. And listen to me, more than anything else, he has not withheld his love from you. It's just that you're defining his love. You've got to let God define his love. God is saying, I've done this for you. I'm doing this for you. I don't think it's inappropriate to say, well, God, you saved my soul. I guess I, I mean, excuse me. I don't think you have to stop and say, well, he saved my soul. So I guess that's, uh, I should just be satisfied with that. Keep my head down and do my thing. I don't have any problem walking in and saying, hey, God, can I have this? Would you do this in my life? Can we go down this road? There's nothing wrong with that. As long as it's okay for him to say no. 
and you be satisfied with it. See, because he's still talking to you. Let's move on. The world was stacked against David and Israel, and the greatest example of this is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I think Pastor Janice referred to it not too long ago when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, asking what is um, Saul going to do for anybody that goes down there and knocks down that heathen, that pagan, that, uh, that unclean infidel who's nine feet tall. What's going to happen? And it says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking to the man and asking him, why don't you guys go down there and kill him? He was so angry. He burned with anger and asked, hey, why have you come down here? And who did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness with? Do you see him mocking his brother? Do you see him looking down his nose? Do you see him saying, you're never going to amount to anything except a shepherd boy. Why don't you just sit down and be quiet? I love this part of the story. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And here's David. What have I done now? Can't I even speak? You ever turn to somebody and say, I wasn't talking to you. David's talking to this guy, but his brother's there say, trying to put him back in his place. You're nothing. You're worthless. You're stupid. You're just a shepherd boy. You can't come out here and fight these giants. You can't do that. You're a nobody. You're not trained. You're nothing. Well, his brother wasn't really, to be honest with you, and yet at the end of his fight, at the end of his fight with Goliath, in my head, in my head, it's fiction, but in my head, he turns around and looks like back up that hill and says, how do you like me now? because that's what I would have done. <laughs> I really would have. I can't imagine. We've all been there somewhere where somebody told us we were worth nothing. And look where you are right now. Sitting in an air-conditioned church in a mall. Food trucks are coming. You've got some money in your pocket, a little folding money. What about that? And you can have dinner if you want to. You can talk to people. You drove here. Wow. David was a shepherd boy. Now he's a giant killer, king of all Israel. Who are the voices that you're listening to? Who are the voices that you're listening to? Are they voices that tell you, man, take that shot. Give it a try. Even if you fail, we're here to help you. Is that the way you speak to your children? Or do you tell them, hey, sit down. Don't be thinking above your, you know, your britches here. Don't, don't, don't get all full of yourself. You're a nobody. Listen, we're, we, this is where we're from, and this is who we are, and this is who our people are. And don't you dream dreams. I know there are people in here whose parents have said that to them. When God says something is, plain and simply, it is. Or it will be. Okay? So what do we learn from David's relationship in Psalm 66? This is what we learn. Don't judge a book by its cover. You say, well, Pastor Joe, that's just a pithy little saying. Okay, okay, all right. Let's do it Jesus' way. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. I'll do it with you, John 7, 24. Okay? Don't judge a book by its cover. This is church. We should be speaking Bible. Okay. Okay. Jesus said, stop making a wrong judgment. Start making a right one. See? We look at somebody and we're like, nah, too tall, too short, too skinny, too wide. 
economically, they don't appear to be in a place where they can be of benefit to us. Um, you know, we're here as a church to serve them. Homeless people come in and we think, yeah, how can we help them? You ever stop and wonder, how can they help us? I just got done reading the same kind of different as me. I don't know if you've read that book, but I, I cannot recommend it enough. And the crazy part was I'm reading through that thing and I got to a place and it's like, wait a minute, that's my brother's church. He was at that church when this was going on in Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, my word, he knows these people. And when I asked him when I was down there, he said, yeah. It's like, okay. Sometimes the homeless people come in and save us from ourselves. See? We've got to stop judging by appearances. You know what this is right here? You know what this is? Oh, it's so cute. But they grow up to be so nasty, don't they? Do, are they? Are they nasty? They're scary to you. I, I know that. I don't doubt that even a little tiny bit. I don't know. If I saw one of those at night out by the trash can when I went out, I don't think I would come back in. And then when you pop that on the screen, they're like, oh, that's cute. That's a baby one. It's good. You know? It's like, yeah, but it's a rodent. It's a rat. It's nasty. It's gross. It's awful. Yeah. The opossum is able to withstand up to 80 rattlesnake bites or coral snake bites. Thanks to him, there's an antidote to snake venom. They eat ticks. They eat things like that. Highly beneficial. I didn't say you had to keep it as a pet. <laughs> Just let him do his business. Let him take care of things. But we look at that possum, we think, oh, that's nasty. Or maybe you're driving to church and you look down and one got hit on the road, you know, by the car before you and you're like, good for him, you know. See, we judge him. He's useless. He's worthless. He's nasty. He's awful. And yet God created him because he can take all the snake bites evidently in the world and still go kill the snake. And in modern medicine has said, watch us make a snake bite venom antidote from this guy. He's not a bad guy, but we judge him by what he looks like. And that's the way we do as human beings. Let's face it, we make our initial judgments when we see people. Brown hair, blonde hair, red hair, tall, short, dressed nicer, scummy, works out, couldn't do a push-up if they wanted to, intelligent, lacking intelligent. I remember when we were in here one time, somebody looked at me and sized me up. And I, I think it's because I'm the pastor. You know, they're like, oh, you're a pastor. Yeah, you can't do anything and you don't have a brain, but you know your Bible. Um, and it's like, we're, we're here to help you. We, we were back there in the meeting room, and somebody said, well, you know, in order to take this job at this position, you've got to be able to do 15 push-ups. And I was like, 15 push-ups? I can do 15 push-ups. And they looked at me and said, you couldn't do 15 push-ups if you tried. I said, okay, let's do it right here. And when I got to 20, they said, you can stop now. I didn't think you could do 15 push-ups. See, we just make a judgment that quick, and we're like, you can't. And it's like, how about if we start saying, you can if you want? Give it a try. If you fail, it's okay. Learn something and get back up. John MacArthur or John Maxwell calls that failing forward. If we fail backwards, we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. But if we try and we fail forward and we learn something, we get back up and we move forward. That's called failing forward. And that's where wisdom comes from because it comes from experience. And experience, he says, comes from failing. But at least you tried. At least you tried. I love that because the scripture in John 7:24 says to make the correct judgment. And the world we live in, mostly non-Christian people will say, they'll snap that scripture from Matthew. It says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and not pay attention to the plank in your, in your own? And, and the world will just, just, and listen, I'm not for looking down your nose and judging people. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm just saying that so many people that want to continue in their sin immediately reach back to, um, to things. And we're going to do a sermon series that's called That's Not in the Bible. But they reach back and they say, all sin's the same. That's not, just for the record, that is not in the Bible. Okay? And I'm happy to have coffee with you and talk about it. That is not in the Bible. They are not all the same. No. Okay? But anyway, that being said, and they say, well, Jesus said, don't judge. Okay, let me just tell you a couple of other things Jesus said. Jesus said, judge correctly. That's a quote. Now you have a conundrum. <laughs> right? He said in the book of Matthew, judge not that you be not judged. And then he said in the book of John, judge correctly. Make a right or correct judgment. And then he said, a tree is known by its fruit. You can't know what the tree of the fruit is, or the fruit of the tree is unless you make a judgment. You walk up to a banana tree and there's bananas laying all around it. In our world today, you can say, well, you know, those are bananas. Uh, that's a banana tree. And somebody will say, no, it's not. You cannot make that judgment. That is so wrong. Today, it thinks it's an orange tree. It's an orange tree. <laughs> Jesus said, if you see bananas laying around the, fruit, the, the base of the tree, it's probably a banana tree. A tree is known by its fruit, not by what you want it to be. I'm sorry, that's what it is. But that takes a judgment. Jesus said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. What's the yeast of the Pharisees? Well, the yeast of the Pharisees is the wrong teaching. You just made a judgment. You just made a judgment. Say, well, no, Pastor Joe, what I really did, no, you just made a judgment. You just made a judgment. Okay, and then it says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa! That's Jesus, Matthew 7. Yikes! And we don't say that to say, you're out, you're out, you're out. We say that to say, I need to witness to this person. I need to witness to this person. I need to have conversations with this person. I need to pour into this person. I need to disciple this person. We need to do that. They all require judgment, but they, they require us to not judge the book to hell by its cover. Let God handle all the things that are God's. Number two, if God says it will be, he's clearly working on a plan. When we only do the things that we can understand or that make sense, when we can only submit to what we believe is fair, when we can only believe the things that we can reason out, that is idolatry at worst and rebellion at best. We're not surrendering to God. We're saying God can only do what I can do, what I can understand and what I can believe. And we're not letting God do things that we never dreamed of. How can I sit on the throne of my own life or the world and then shake my fist at God when I can't see this far down the road of where I'm going. I can't always see what God's doing, but I can tell you this, when God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I don't know how long it's going to take, and I don't know what's up, and I don't know that, but I do know he's up, at, uh, up to something. When something is really, really fantastic, then I lean on James. Jesus' brother says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, and he doesn't change like sifting sand. When things are really hard in Romans, I recognize that we know that in all things God works for the good of those that, are called, uh, that love him and have been called according to his purpose. For those that God foreknew, because he lives outside of time as we understand it, he predestined to conform to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, those that he said that would come, and then he would call them his own, he also called those he called he also justified those he justified he also glorified and then when things get really bad in my life i lean on james again and it says consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance perseverance when it finishes its work so that it helps us to become mature and complete not lacking anything 
in the midst of the struggle that is getting me down, we go to God and we allow him to finish his work because at least he's still acting in our lives. It is all still part of God's plan, according to David, because David said, listen, when it got bad and you let those people run over our heads in Psalm 66, then you made a way for us. God was doing something. He was building a nation. They went in 72 people. They came out, theologians believe, 1.6 million people after 400 and some years. Wow. But it took a little bit of slavery to catch their attention. And the last thing that I just want to share with you, I want you to hold your goals and your dreams and your desires, things that you would like to see God do in your life, in your marriage, in your children. I want you to, I want you to just hold those in your heart for just a second. And when God's called you to do something, the best thing you can do when naysayers come up to you and say, you can't do that, you're not good enough, the best thing you can do, do the thing. Do the thing. When people tell you you can't do the thing and you know God has called you to do the thing, I want to encourage you to do the thing. Do the thing. Joseph is a great example of that. It took a little while, but God gave him a dream and then God made it happen even when for all of those years he was planning and he was making it happen. And Joseph couldn't see what the plan was, but he knew to be faithful to God. Do the thing. Moses is another example of that. He was raised up. He was no ordinary child. He lived in the palace. He killed a man. He went off into the desert. He was nobody. And God is like, no, you can't subvert my plan by killing a guy and running off and becoming a goat herder. I will take you back to Egypt and stand you up to Pharaoh. The Apostle Paul is an example of that. Chasing after God in all the wrong ways. And still God said, your passion for my heart is good, but you're doing it wrong. And he got a hold of him. Do the thing that God has called you to do. Look what Jesus said about John the Baptist. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you said he was he had a demon he was a demon and now look what jesus says about himself the son of man came eating and drinking and you say here's a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners and i love this verse 35 but wisdom is proved right by all her children and what jesus is saying is do the thing because when God makes it happen because you gave God your yes, the naysayers are going to have to deal with how do you like me now? How do you like me now that God has taken me where he said he would? How do you like me now that he gave me a spouse and you said he never would? How do you like me now when I'm living a life I never dreamed of? How do you like me now when I'm still trying to hear his voice I get to do it with you in central Kentucky. How do you like me now? How do you like me now? You are a child of God, and he is ever working on your behalf, even when you're not sold out and can't see it. He's not giving up on you. He's not kicking you to the curb. He is still working in your life and on your behalf. I didn't say it would be simple and easy. I said he's still working. He's still taking you through the sea. 
You are his child, and the scripture tells us in the book of Psalms that he never sleeps and he never slumbers. That's something human beings need to do. He hasn't taken his eye off you. He has not not seen you because he's working on Joe. He still sees you. And no, I can't explain that to you. But an anthropomorphism is when I ascribe human characteristics to God, the arm of God, the eye of God. You made God a human being. I didn't. I'm saying God made the human beings. And if he can keep his eye on my friend Bruce and me at the same time, all that much better. I'm excited for that. He's not forgotten you. And God is working for the good. Sometimes the doctor has to give us a shot, and we don't like it. And it hurts. And we got anxiety until we leave the doctor's office. But while the shot's coming, we've got anxiety, and we don't like it. But it's for our good, and sometimes that's the way it is with God. Listen to me. Let me, say, let me. let me wrap it up with this statement right here. When we don't understand why, lean on who? Can you do that? When we don't understand why, and it hurts, and it's dark, and it, and, and it's, it feels suffocating to us, when we don't understand why, lean on who? who he was, who he is, and who he will be as he comes back. Because that's God. God is going to take us to a place as a community, as a nation, where we will say to the world, how do you like me now? When it all comes crumbling down and, and the end of all things that you and I understand comes to be, when the fulfillment of the book of Revelation comes to pass, we will be standing in the, how do you like me now? Not because we need to point our fingers at somebody, but because we need to say to ourselves, you made the right decision. You persevered. How do you like me now? I believe that God wants to continue in your dreams. But who are you listening to? Who are you listening to?